Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, we consider how to save money on energy costs on your farm. Chagas Energy researcher John Upton joins us to document the main sources of energy consumption on farms and key areas we can focus on to reduce energy consumption by up to 60%. We've been working in the area of energy use now since about 2008. And one of the first things we, we did was to set up a network of uh, farms that we monitored in detail for about five or six years. And on those farms, we measured basically all the energy consuming equipment inside the gate. So it enabled us to get a very detailed um, quantity of energy use across the board. And what we found was that on average, energy costs represent about five euros per thousand litres of milk sold. And there's a very big range in terms of farm performance on that metric from two euros fifty per thousand litres on the lower end of the scale, right up to nine euros on the higher end of the scale. So I suppose what people want to know is where are the main energy users then inside the gate? And we're able to say really that across the board, milk cooling is the major one. And that represents over 30% of total farm demand. That's followed then by water eating. That's about 23%. The milking machine then, mainly the vacuum pumps within the milking machine are 20%. Winter sheds and workshops and miscellaneous items such as that would be 18%. The water pump is 5% and the balance then is lighting at 3%. And like naturally, John, there's a no size fits all when we look across every farm. And I guess that's represented when you talk about a variation in costs across farms from anywhere from 250 to 9 euro um, per thousand litres sold. But if if I was to go out this morning and look at a dairy farm or indeed yourself, you know, how can we assess uh, the energy usage for a farm or have inference into how efficient a farm is? Well, I suppose, look, energy use on on any dairy farm is, is another cost. And with any cost item, it's important to measure and monitor it. And at that point, then you decide whether it needs to be reduced or whether you're doing good, bad, or indifferent relative to your peers. So I guess if, if a farmer could take anything from listening to the podcast would be, you know, to go and benchmark your energy costs against your discussion group's energy costs. And to that end, we have developed um, a workbook to, to help farmers with that topic. Um, there's a sheet in the Dairy Farm Infrastructure Workbook, which deals specifically with calculating on-farm energy costs per litre of milk. So it takes just some very basic information, get your hands on 12 months electricity bills and of course the farmer will know how much energy is or how much milk is produced in the year. Essentially you're dividing one by the other to get um, specific energy use per litre of milk produced. And it's very interesting to compare in groups um, the different farms, the different systems, the different how the different equipments influence that energy cost. Uh, moving on from that then, there's a secondary table which looks at quantifying the infrastructure on each farm. So there are some key technologies that we'll focus on in a minute and you tick the box whether you have different technologies or not. And that helps guide the discussion in terms of what may be leading to uh, low, high or medium energy use on a particular farm. 
take us down uh, that route, John, in terms of technologies. Like what technologies would you see as having a positive influence on energy efficiency? So when it comes to reducing energy use on a farm, we need to pay close attention to the three main energy users, which, as we, say, as we said, are milk cooling, water heating, and the milking machine. So then there are targeted technologies for each of those. Um, in terms of the milk cooling side of it, it's really the simplest one to address, and it's also the area where the biggest gains can be made. So we're talking really about implementing plate cooling on uh, the milk cooling system, which has the ability to reduce the milk cooling energy use by between 40 and 50%. Now, a lot of farms have plate coolers installed already, but they might necessarily be working efficiently. And in that case, it's also important to look at the performance of the plate cooler. So the guideline that I use for assessing plate cooler performance is that you should have a milk to water ratio of one is to two. So for every liter of milk that goes through the plate cooler, two liters of water should flow through. And in terms of assessing that in a non-farm situation, what we need to look at is the temperature of milk going into the bulk tank after the plate cooler. And we're looking to achieve a cooling level of about five degrees Celsius above well water temperature. So for example, if your well water temperature is 10 degrees Celsius, the milk should be going into the tank after the plate cooler at 15 degrees. And what we are seeing on farm is that very, very often these levels of cooling are not being met. For example, the milk could be going into the tank at 25 or 30 degrees. And what's causing that problem really is a lack of water flow through the plate cooler. So I suppose the message really is, first of all, if you don't have a plate cooler on your farm, I'd highly advise putting one in because the payback period on them is very, very good. And second of all, if you do have one on your farm, look at its performance level, see if it's doing what it's supposed to do. So that's really, I suppose, the essential messages on, on the cooling side of it. Um, for water eating then, that's a little bit more complicated because there are different fossil fuel energy use systems that can be used. And then there are also additional energy efficient technologies that can be used. So we might dig into the water eating side of it a little bit later on. Um, on the vacuum pump side of it and on the milking mach machine side of it, the key technology is a variable speed drive or a VSD unit. This VSD unit will increase or decrease the speed of the vacuum pump in response to demand for vacuum at the cluster end of the milking machine. And this system is very, very effective at reducing energy use. It'll cut the cost of the or cut the running cost of the vacuum pump by 60%. And that's been proven many, many times on commercial farms. Um, so it's very, very important, really, I suppose, before you install it, to look at the return on investment of that technology um, because it pays very, very quickly on three-phase farms and not so well on single-phase farms. Um, we have a technology calculator that's available online which can help guide decisions around investments in key technologies, including the variable speed drive vacuum pump. And based on the return, what is the difference between your um, three-phase electricity and single-phase electricity and, and, and the return it gives? When it comes to variable speed drives, the key piece of equipment that's used is called an inverter. And the inverter is a piece of kit that's responsible for changing the speed of the motor. 
So on a single phase farm, the inverter is responsible for taking in single phase on one, li on one line of the inverter, split it into a three phase power supply across three phases. The motor is changed out to a three phase motor and that enables um, speed control because you can't change the speed of a single phase motor. So basically all the current is being transferred through one phase of the inverter. They're, as a result of that, have to be quite large and robust and oversized, and that leads to high investment cost for single-phase farms. Whereas on three-phase farms, the inverters can be smaller. They're, as a result, more efficient, um, more efficient in terms of capital infrastructure or capital input. And con uh, along with that, three-phase farms are also generally larger farms. Larger farms have more potential to save energy uh, because of larger milking units and so on. So as a result of that, basically the investment cost is lower on single-phase farms. Also, the potential for savings are higher. So when you put those two things together, you get a very good return on three-phase farms, not such a good return on single-phase farms. And moving on then, John, to water heating. Like you say it represents... 23% of energy usage and you know looking to that this is becoming more and more interesting given that we're transitioning to chlorine free on farms and we, we require a lot more hot water in order to achieve uh, cleaning um, in terms of the parlour and uh, milk tank washings. So I suppose what are your recommendations there in terms of I suppose achieving the level of of hot water that we require and also doing it in an energy efficient way yeah so there's big big pressure on water heating systems on farms this year with the move over to chlorine free detergents the general recommendation is that a hot wash will have to be carried out on the milking machine every day so that's a big departure for a lot of farms that may be hot washing every second week every second day or maybe even once a week in some cases so the key message with regards to hot water right now is that there should be enough capacity on the farm to hot wash both the milking machine and the bolt tank on the same day. So in terms of guidelines then for water volumes, we're looking to heat about 10 litres of hot water per milking unit in the parlour. So for example, if you have a 16 unit parlour, you'll need to heat 160 litres of hot water to wash that machine and the temperature guideline for milking machines is heating to 80 degrees okay and for the bulk tank then we're looking to heat two percent of the capacity of the bulk tank so if you have an 8,000 litre bulk tank that's another 160 litres of hot water and it doesn't have to be as hot as the milking machine water that can be at 70 degrees so if we take the scenario we looked at with your 16 unit parlour and your 8,000 litre bulk tank, that's a total daily requirement of 320 litres of hot water per day. So it's an awful lot of water and it also means that a 300 litre water heater on that farm would not be big enough. You know, so serious capacity is required. Um, in terms of delivering that water then in a cost efficient way, we're going to have to get some sort of fossil energy use going to, to meet our temperature requirements and our options there are electricity gas or oil okay um, if we look at the costs of providing that hot water 100 liters of water on day rate electricity will be two euros and ten cent 
on night rate, it's 94 cents. So there's big savings to be made by going for night rate in the case of electrical heating. Moving on then to the other systems, if we look at gas or LPG-fired systems, they're coming in around 87 cent per 100 litres of hot water. And oil or kerosene-fired systems then are cheapest at 45 cent per 100 litres. And generally, I would advise considering the oil or gas-fired systems at a daily consumption level of about 300 litres per day. Okay. Now, having said that, convenience does also influence decision-making around system choice. So by convenience, I mean that the oil and gas systems are also available as instant heaters, so you don't need a tank. And that can sway decision-making as well because there's basically always hot water available when you need it, whereas with a tank system, um, between batches, your water is going to be cold, you know. And like looking at electricity, it, it is probably the traditional method of heating water and it's it's what's most common on farms. Would you see many farms actually using gas and oil, I, I suppose, gi- particularly given, I suppose, the economic benefits um, of, of heating water relative to electricity? Yeah, an awful lot of the larger units now are moving over to oil and gas heating. And costs or heating costs are, are one reason, but also... Um, I suppose convenience is, is a massive influencer as well and also speed of heating so the oil and gas systems are much quicker to heat water than the electrical system and therefore are, are a better option I suppose for, for a lot of the larger farms um, however for, for the average size dairy farm you know with, with 80 cows or so the electrical system is still a very very good option um, it can heat at night rate provide a relatively good balance between capital infrastructure and running costs and you know in terms of um, coupling them then with renewable systems or energy reduction technologies which we can speak about um, can actually provide a relatively I suppose environmentally friendly solution as well as a, a capital efficient solution. And looking to another factor that you mentioned, John, you mentioned that, you know, the target is that you get the hot water to 80 degrees Celsius. Um, have you seen situations where that hasn't been achieved? And why I ask that is Dave Gleason would say during, you know, looking at the, the, the different methods of chlorine free washing, that sometimes that isn't achieved and then the, the wash isn't sufficient. Absolutely. It's very, very common that those target temperatures are not met on farm. And there are a number of reasons for it, I suppose. The main reason is the thermostat is not set correctly on these heaters. So, um, for example, straight from the factory, the thermostat on, on a lot of electrical heaters would be set to 60 degrees. And then nobody ever looks at it, checks it, or adjusts it. Therefore, your, your temperature is going to be between 50 and 60 instead of your target temperature of 80. That is a big, big problem. Um, and it's very simple to check on farm. You know, fill the wash trough, use a thermometer to check the temperature and adjust the system as necessary. In some cases, the thermostat might need to be changed to allow it to go to 80 degrees. And that's something that should be consulted with in terms of your electrician. Um, but in the majority of cases, it can be adjusted um, up to where it's, it should be. 
and moving outside those main energy sources and, and reducing those specific costs that we were talking about and we look at the overall energy picture, can you give us some tips on how we can reduce energy costs? You you, you mentioned nitrate and, and, and maybe, you know, we often talk about switching energy providers in the home, but is this an option on farms? The majority of dairy farms are, are free to switch to, to the most competitive supplier as any household would because um, the majority of dairy farms are actually on a residential tariff. So you can use a cost comparison website such as bonkers.ie to compare options in terms of who's the most attractive supplier. I'd recommend that be done at least once a year. So every 12 months, put a date in the diary and, and benchmark those costs. There, there can be a difference of up to 20% in the unit rates between the most cost-efficient supplier and where you would be right now. Um, so in general, we'll say the day rate is at 18 cent per unit and the night rate is at about 8 cent per unit. But the most competitive prices out there right now could be as low as 14, 15 for day and 7 or 8 at night. So there's definitely big savings to be made by changing. And like in terms of a saving per 100 cows, you're talking about 800 euros per year of a difference there just by moving supplier. So that's definitely a, a top recommendation put in the diary. Just a bit of housekeeping, but makes a big difference at the end of the day. And 800 euro goes a long way. That's maybe the expected profit um, you, you'd get from a cow in the year. And it's it's essentially free money. And looking to, I, I, I suppose, um, another um, aspect of what we're seeing on dairy farms. In recent years, you know, dairy, dairy farmers have deviated from the traditional conventional herd one system to robotics and rotaries if we look at energy consumption or energy requirements in those systems you know do you see them as higher or lower than your conventional herringbone yeah so we have done a good bit of work on robotic systems and we found that the energy use on those is higher than a conventional herringbone system um, it could be 40 or 50 percent higher um, in terms of the, the values that we were speaking about earlier. So, in other words, your robotic system is more likely to be up around your eight or nine euros per thousand litres than it is to be four or five euros. And the main reason for that is there's a large demand there for compressed air, so that adds to it. Also, in terms of the, the hot water usage, um, they do consume a good bit more hot water because they generally have to be washed with hot water three times a day. So, look... Um, I guess it's it's part and parcel of the system. You can make some improvements there by using plate cooling and your night rate and your variable speed drive vacuum pumps are, are generally fitted as standard. And for some milking machines, the hot water system can be changed. So you could go for gas, for instance, uh, and make some, some savings there. But generally across the board, your robotic unit will cost more to run and that's part and parcel of it. I suppose, interestingly, going forward, those systems may fit a little bit better with renewable energy sources such as photovoltaics because you have more of a low level demand throughout the day as your robotic unit milks cow after cow uh, compared with your conventional herringbone which has a peak in the morning and the peak in the evening. So that's kind of a, an interesting space to, to look into for the future. Um, in terms of the rotaries then, that's actually something that we're looking into right now. We have a project focused on looking at both energy efficiency and milking efficiency of rotary farms in comparison to the, the traditional herringbone. 
and I suppose what's driving that project is definitely a shift towards larger farms implementing more of these rotary systems year on year, whereas 10 years ago they were very, very rare. So it's something that is, is very interesting and it's something that we're working on right now. So um, I actually can't tell you whether they're more efficient or less efficient right now, but in 12 months we'll have we'll have that information. And finally then, John, to pick up, uh, you know, you've mentioned twice that there is a space for renewable sources of energy on farms. Can you just, I suppose, give us the the, the top options for farmers? And I, I suppose one of the big things would be the, the cost and the return on your investment uh, for these energy sources. Yeah, so the main one really, and the only one that I see being economically viable for the majority of farms is the solar PV or solar photovoltaic technology. And this technology basically is an array of panels that goes on the roof and it generates electricity from the sun. Um, so at the moment, they're grant dated under the TAMS program and there's a maximum system capacity there of 11 kilowatts. Um, so generally the systems that are going in are from kind of 6 up to 11. For for a 6 kilowatt unit, um, this will generate in the order of 6,000 6, units of electricity per year and save about 3 tonnes of CO2 per year as well. So, you know, there's there's definitely a place for them on dairy farms, both in terms of providing renewable energy to the system and also reducing CO2 emissions. Um, I, I would see them really becoming a lot more popular going forward because they're, they're a very versatile technology. So, for example, the power that's generated can be used in the morning while milking and cooling is going on. In the afternoon, it can be used for heating water um, to supplement your your electrical system, for example. And in the evening, it can be used for evening milking. So within this range of, you know, 6 to 11 kilowatts, which falls under the heading of micro-generation, um, the majority of power can be used within the farm gate and, you know, with, with not so much of a focus on exporting because exporting right now, you don't get any export tariff, so it's not, not as attractive. So the key thing with them with these solar PV systems is that they're sized such that the majority of the power can be consumed within the farm gate, okay? Um, in terms of the, the return then, or, or the, 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 the payback, I suppose, is, is what most people will be interested in. They really do need some grant aid to make them economically viable, okay? In general, your, your six kilowatt system will cost somewhere in the region of seven and a half thousand euros plus VAT and it'll save somewhere in the region of 800 euros per year on, on energy use. So you're in and around the 10 year return, okay? Now, one thing that's very important to mention is that these systems are, they're eligible for an accelerated capital allowances, which means the purchase price can be written off against tax in the year of purchase, okay? And obviously the effect of that depends on the tax bracket. So if it's the 40% rate or the, the lower rate, okay? So it's important to check that with the accountant, but that has a massive effect on the on the return, okay? So essentially you're almost having the investment cost in, in the higher tax bracket of these systems by using that accelerated capital allowances. Um, further to that, they're also eligible for the TAMS grant, 
which can be up to 60% for the young trained farmer or 40% for, for all other eligible farmers. So when you put the TAMS grant together with the accelerated capital allowances, the payback could be as low as three or four years. So in that case, it's a very, very attractive investment. However, on the other side of the scale, if you're not TAMS grant eligible or you're, you're not paying income tax, if you're below the threshold, then it's not such a good investment, okay? So those distinctions are very, very important. And I guess it's those factors that motivated us to create the online decision support tool that we have. Um, it's called the Dairy Energy Decision Support Tool. If you Google it, it'll pop up. It's the first thing that'll pop up. And it helps guide decisions really around the, the return or the simple payback for, for these technologies. Um, and it's sensitive to farm size, grant eligibility, export tariffs and so on. So it really does give a fairly accurate idea of how this system will work for you on your farm. I think we'll um, we'll wrap it up there, John. And I think you've given us a very comprehensive um, picture of energy usage and on farms. I, I think there's some homework we could do um, uh, and, and take home messages for our particular farms from our chat today. I, I suppose the first thing that I would recommend people doing is is look at your energy supplier. And as you say, some farms can save up to 800 euro per year and this is essentially free cash okay taking it a step further from there um you know it would be a really really nice exercise for people to benchmark themselves against their discussion group and you know taking a step forward from that looking at things like you know the worksheet that you've um, made available online with the dairy energy decision support tool and I suppose looking into the specific energy sources um, and energy usage on farms you know considering the plate cooler um, for the mill cooling system um, from the water heating looking at the different um you know, elements that can heat water when we look at electricity, gas and oil. And then in terms of the, the vacuum, looking at the variable speed drive. Um, so there's, there's a lot to do and a lot to consider. Thank you, John. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to John Upton for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and join me next time for your Jerry Edge.